Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Cheats Movement Podcast on the Family Podcast Network. It is Monday, December 20th, and we have a very special episode for you today. I know I say that every time, but I mean it every time. We are blessed to have amazing guests come on the podcast. I don't know how I get them. They just come on, and it's an amazing conversation. Today's episode is no different. Dallin Cuff is an in-studio analyst for ESPN. He does a lot of his work uh, on the major network ESPN or on the ACC network, which is also owned by ESPN, and he is phenomenal. He covers college basketball and the beautiful game, the global game of football, if you will, which is soccer in the United States, but he's, he's phenomenal. His calling card is one that's after my own heart. He has two two major traits that I've seemed to figure out uh, in his career, which is hard work and authenticity. And I will tell you, this conversation that we have, is it, it shows. It shows his authenticity shows, his work ethic shows, and it is just amazing conversation that, that touches a range of topics in the world of sports and the world of culture. If you haven't seen his work if you're not familiar please look up dallin cuff he is an amazing guest and he is on the cheats movement i'm so excited about this interview so the business we have to get through and we love to get through it because it's it makes this show go if you like this episode if you like the cheats movement podcast please subscribe if you really like us please leave a comment subscribe and leave a comment we are so excited about the launch of the Family Podcast Network in January. Please visit the Cheats Movement Podcast Network.com and subscribe, sign up. Please be a part of the family. We're so excited about it. And I'm so, so excited that this podcast interview that you hear is taking place at the Community Media Center at the ICA. It's a combination between VPM and the ICA, and it's the first time I've used this the studio, but it definitely will not be the last. It will be the future home of the Cheats Movement podcast. So we're excited about that. With no further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Dallin Cuff. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Cheats Movement podcast brought to you on the Family Podcast Network. I am your host, Cheats, and we are in brand new digs today so we are in a studio you won't see it because it's blurry but we are in a brand new studio the vpm vcu ica media center so we got to thank them i have a very very special guest to open this brand new center for us in the family podcast network dallin cuff of espn is a little bit of a jack of all trades but he is a, a basketball analyst he's a soccer analyst and enthusiast he's in studio he does it all. And one of my favorite fun facts, which is pretty popular since he played there at least four years and senior captain of the basketball team, but he's also an Ivy League Columbia man. So, Dallin, welcome to the program. It's great to be on with you, man. And let's, I'll just say I'm thankful I can make a couple jump shots that let me go to that school because you Lord did. knows. Lord <laughs> knows I couldn't go there on my own. There is you zero made, chance. You made a couple more than just jump shots, right? You you finished with a pretty high three-point, uh, is it total or or percentage? What were you, what was your three game like? Uh, that was the, the biggest strength of my game, but they're somewhere in the, in the, in the, they're in there for three-point percentage for a season or career may. I forget where it is, but uh, as the game has changed, though, too, Bear in mind, I graduated in 06. Right. So right. I think if in one year, if I made 50 some threes or whatever it was, 60, that was like a decent number. That's like almost to a game. But in today's world, 
that's that's almost nothing. You know, like, that's this like is the, a different. The, there's more dudes taking threes. There's more guys making threes. So I don't even know where. I, I'm definitely down the line now. I don't know what, where it looks like, but I could shoot it a little bit. Since, since we're talking threes, what's your take on Steph Curry breaking the all-time three-point record uh, in the garden of all places? Yeah. So, uh, I'm sure very familiar familiar digs for you. Uh, what was your take on Seth uh, Curry breaking the record? That was awesome, man. It was special, too. You're right. Like, I, I mean, I have no connection to the Chase Center, but having those fans be able to see it home at home would have been special. But the only other place in the planet, the only other venue in the planet that could that could really rise to the occasion and give it the, the theater it deserves is Madison Square Garden. Uh, I had the pleasure to play there a number of times. I had the pleasure to call, I mean, call games there cover games there it's just a special place man when you're going in that dingy elevator and you're going sure. up to get into to go into the bowels of the stadium or the arena and walk in the locker room it's just a it's a special place and to see that building everybody standing and him knock down that shot obviously with ray allen being there his parents his dad and i mean it was it was a cool scene and it's it's a fitting tribute i, I mean i was kind of surprised at how big it was i feel like people really really connected with it and maybe it's just because it's steph and it's really hard to dislike steph like Very teams hard. made this Impossible. like teams like fans fans dislike him because he, he he wins a lot. He's won some championships. He's knocked off your team. So fans of different teams cannot like him, but you definitely respect him and you sure as hell appreciate him because he's just changed the game, man. He's a different type of dude where he's the he's every he's the everyday guy that somehow is an NBA superstar because he does something, that one thing. He shoots the ball better than anybody in the history of the world. And he may have a better handle to get to his shot. Maybe not just a handle purely, but to get to his jump shot and to knock that down better than anybody we've ever seen. In context, quickly, because I don't want to go off the rails, but in context, do you think he's underrated? Ah, oh, it's a good question. Um, I think that I think his, his his rating or his legacy will grow over time as we have more time to reflect and say, look, at, he changed the game. Like, how many people can say they actually changed the game of basketball? That's only a handful, uh, and you, you could. LeBron, he's changed some elements of it, but in terms of the, how the game is played, how the analytics play, and if you can do what that guy can do, and there's a lot more, it became even more of a skill game as he showed you. If you have the epitome, if you have the, the top level of skill and the most critical component of shooting the basketball, that can transcend everything. It can make up for every, any weaknesses, can make up for different stuff, and they can build teams around that. So I think, I think his legacy will grow over time as people appreciate not just what he's done and winning championships, but how he changed the game. And there's only a couple of people that can really say that. And he, will people say he's in the top 10 or the top 15? That's, that's for Stephen A. And, and they can embrace the bait and they can have those conversations all day long. But I'll tell you what, people will universally appreciate him and maybe understand what he did as we step away from him more. But I think people kind of, to that moment, I think people kind of got it more than I thought they would. And we're really impressed more than I thought they would. That's, that's interesting. That's interesting. And I, and I agree with you 100%. And I think that one of the things I want to talk to you about, I, I've got a million questions that I can ask you, but I, I wanted to touch on this because fundamentally you are a hooper. You grew up yeah. all your life pl playing hoops and there's mm -hmm. a certain culture to hoops and hooping. Mm -hmm. Yet, from what I understand, especially later in life, you have become a soccer, beyond soccer enthusiast. A, a a true understanding fan of the game, able to call the game, and you see the culture of this global worldwide institution that is soccer all over the world. And there's a culture to soccer mm -hmm. that is definitely not like the same as the culture of hoops. So 
here's here's the question I have because there's certain similarities in regards to the fandom and the mm-hmm. tribalism and that stuff. Um, but one thing that I'm actually growing concerned about in both institutions is crowd control and fans. Mm-hmm. And so I'm watching the MLS Cup, probably the only soccer <laughs> match I've watched all season. I got I got to keep it 100 with you. But okay, I watched okay. the whole thing. I watched the whole thing from start to finish. And okay. I and in the Timber Army, I'm starting to see yep. it. And you know, you're and and I saw obviously after the goal, um, you know, an incident that was that was wasn't nobody was proud of, uh, and they ejected a fan after uh, uh, NYFC scored a goal. And then I look at hoops games now, and I'm seeing, especially in the NBA, I'm seeing fans get escorted escorted out, and mm-hmm. I'm trying. And so, uh, as a long setup to ask, like. In both of these kind of hoops and kind of global soccer, probably soccer longer, what do you see as similarities, dissimilarities? Like, tell me about the crowd, crowd environment and, and if there's anything we can do um, as, as a community to kind of have people behave a little bit more responsibly and so on. Because there's great parts to that crowd, too. Yeah, for sure. I'll start with the soccer piece of it because there is nothing like soccer fan, football fandom. It is a different animal across the globe. And uh, and I don't care if you call it soccer, football, whatever you call it. America, if you're into watching it, we good. That's all I'm saying. I don't like the American elitism around fandom. We need everybody. Let's go. Everybody get involved and enjoy the beautiful game. And part of that is the fan atmosphere. I think we realized that through the pandemic. When you're watching, I don't care if you're watching Bayern Munich, you're watching Man City, you're watching Liverpool, uh, you're watching anybody watching Real Madrid when those stadiums were empty the games felt a little hollow like the the, the cadence of soccer is built around the singing and the fans and if you go to Dortmund 80,000 strong 40,000 in the yellow wall like just crazy scenes and I will say this soccer culture football culture in the 80s and 90s especially in England has been cleaned up a lot I mean there was whether it was complete hooliganism massive brawls obviously Hillsborough in 1989 I think it was the stands fell down many people died at, at that venue I mean there was awful things had happened in soccer games and they've found a way to kind of root that out. It's gotten better. There are still issues like Olympic Marseille a couple months ago where fans stormed the court and, and stormed, stormed the field. Um, and there's some ugly incidents, especially in South America, Brazil and Argentina. You got some really ugly incidents. Um, and I mean, I, it's, it's hard to say what you can do because the fanatic a fan is short for fanatic for a reason. And the passion is on a different level. And when we think about football or soccer or basketball or baseball, people are fans of multiple teams. And the vast majority of these sports, these countries, it's just soccer. It's right. just your club. So if they, if they suck, it feels like your world is sucking. You're, you're, not, you're not able to turn the channel on and say, the Jets suck, as always. Let me watch the Knicks. Well, they suck, too. Let me watch somebody else. Like, you can't just roll season to season. This is it for 10 months for most, most people that are, that are supporters of different clubs. So the passion is there. And I do think certain institutions and, and governing bodies have done a better job of creating security and helping fans kind of self-police and kind of keep people together and keep supporters groups, kind of keep people in line at times. Um, but it's hard to say what can an institution do because if somebody wants to run on the field, wants to be rogue, or they want to do with 20 people, it's hard to control that. I think what you can do is you have to shine a light on that, shun that. People have to be permanently banned from stadiums. Supporter groups can be punished as a group entire, entirely if you do allow these things. These people are associated with your crew. You can do things like that, and they do things like that. And that's across the country and across the world. And those are so many different countries dealing with that. In the U.S., our culture is different. There is a, a bit of a dividing line where people have, have less often broke that line. But I think what we do see is that vitriol you can spew in Twitter and in social media, that, and I think our society in general has become more tribal, more divisive, more angry. 
you're, you're kind of seeing that digital piece play out in reality now. Now, I know the Malice of the Palace was years ago, and that was, sure. that was a wild scene. But we've seen stuff like this. I think people are more comfortable abusing these players verbally or throwing stuff on the, field, on, on the court because they feel entitled to. Like, they feel that that ticket gave them the right to do this. My Twitter account gives me the right to do this. I don't think it should be like that. Your Twitter account can give you the right to say whatever you want, but you can't yell fire in a theater. So there's certain things. You cross certain lines, you will be punished for that. Now, we've seen that across the soccer world. Athletes that are being racially abused on, on Twitter, on social media, are being hunted down by different uh, law enforcement agencies and being punished for doing that. That's in other countries. I don't think that will ever happen in the States because of our you know, First Amendment, but there are ways that there are things that the digital world is spewing over to the real world. And I feel like if we can police a little bit of this just absolute hate and vitriol on the digital side, maybe it'll spill over to little, the reality again in the real world. Um, but also I think you have to rely on those individual areas, those security forces to find these people and the people around them. Like everybody says, don't snitch. Screw that. Snitch on that person. They're going to try to abuse, try to abuse athletes that are better. That are, I know they're paying millions of dollars. But they're not paying millions of dollars to be, to abuse, to be abused. They're, playing, they're being paid to entertain you. And yes, if the entertainment is not what you want, you can, your ticket affords you the right to leave, to boo, to do anything in a manner that's not offensive or abusive. And I think anybody that's doing stuff like that or physically abusive, the people around them should be joining up to not allow that to happen either. And call those folks out and get those people out of the building. It should never be allowed in again. I think there should be a hard dividing line. When you cross that line, you're not welcome here anymore. And I think the, institute, the, the individual teams have to execute that on their level. And the NBA or the NFL or whoever has to support that. How did the uh, global football fandom, as you call it, how did it happen for you? As somebody that was, that was hooping, and yeah. I'm talking about hooping all over, and, and like I said, in college, New York City hooping. How, mm-hmm. how did, when did, it, when did the, the football fandom flip the switch for you? How, how did it happen? I played like most American kids. I played till I was about 12 or 13, but I had to choose. I came in the area of specialization in the early 90s when I was about that age, mid-90s, where you had to start – everybody was about picking one sport. So I was picking AU basketball or ODP soccer, and I picked AU basketball. This is pre-1994 World Cup. Uh, it was right before the 94 World Cup. There was no MLS. My dad played at Duquesne in, in, the, in the 60s. He was drafted by the Knicks. Like I understood a professional and educational future playing basketball. He – he didn't beat that in my head. He was real clear. If you play this game well, it can take you places. It can mm-hmm. open doors for you. Um, and we kind of understood that. My oldest brother played basketball in college. My other brother was a football player in college. So I kind of understood that world. Soccer was a whole different planet to us. I, I liked to play it. I enjoyed it. But it just didn't make – you didn't see the path. Like if I, sure. Now, let's be real, though. A 6'2 shooting guard, 6'3 shooting guard, we are literally a dime a dozen. Literally. A 6'3 center back that can run and read the game, eh, you're pretty valuable. They're, they aren't that yeah, many. Yeah, they, so, you have the athleticism down. So if I, if I could have run it back, maybe I would have done it a different way. But I'm happy how everything turned out. But uh, So I made that split. I'd always loved FIFA. I always played the video game for years. And then I get to my senior year in college. It's 2005, 2006. It's, a, it's, the, it's August of 2005, just going into September. And I, uh, I break my foot. I have a stress fracture in my foot. They have a surgery. I can't walk. Uh, and our whole basketball team lived in a house, in a brownstone on 114 the Broadway. Greatest four years of my life. I can't even explain to you that the scene that would go on in that place was just, it was just phenomenal and horrific all at the same time. Several um, times. But the guy, one of the guys on my floor, his name is Dragutin Kravich. It's my boy. He's from Serbia. Came to the States when he was about 15 to 16. Uh, went to school in Manhattan. Eventually played at Columbia with me same year. Like, uh, so I couldn't walk when I had that boot on my foot and my, I, could, I couldn't walk around. So I was in my room a lot and the alums had bought me a team. I shouldn't say I they gave me a TV, whatever. They gave me a TV. Statue um, of limitations. You're good. So yeah, so, so, yeah, I'm good. So on our floor, there was my, like, my TV was like the TV on our floor. There were four rooms on our floor, four guys on the floor. 
So drags will walk in and be like, hey, man, can I watch the Champions League game in here? There'll be a TV now. And I'm like, okay. And I didn't have an understanding. Like, I knew this, I knew the international game all the time because that's who we used to, that's who we watched the World Cups or Euros. And we would play with those teams playing FIFA. But he's like, no, the clubs, he started explaining to me the game. And we'd watch the Tuesday and Wednesday Champions League games all through September when I still couldn't put any pressure on my foot. And I started watching Arsenal. I was like, oh, this is cool. They're, they develop a lot of young players. They play in the academies, like from their academies. I'm a Steelers fan, so I was kind of identifying with they're not going out and buying all the big money guys or developing guys and coming through their system where they're identifying them young and they're bringing them in. Um, they're playing them young. And the way the game is played is very similar to basketball. You have to be able to dribble past, shoot, the vision, playing in triangles, playing off each other, cutting into space, the movement. All those type of things were very translatable to me. So I was loving the game. I was really into watching Arsenal play. And significantly, coincidentally enough, as we start to watch early on, me and Drags became a thing. As we went through the season, we'd watch Tuesday and Wednesday Champions League every afternoon together. Uh, after practice, we'd, just, we'd turn that on and we'd watch the games. Um, I began to get into it. And then as I got done playing, I had more time. So on the weekends, I would tune into some of the Premier League stuff. There was Back then, it was Fox Soccer Channel was around. You could tune into that. Uh, but it led into a World Cup year, too. So now I'm done playing. I'm out of school. I'm like a, I'm a normal, you know, working, a, working in marketing and advertising. So I'm waking up every Saturday, Sunday off. I'm watching Fox Soccer Channel. We're going into a World Cup where the U.S. is playing in Germany. I'm locked into that. I'm doing all my research on the team. Coming out of the World Cup, more time. The Premier League season starts. I'm more identified with people. And I just fell in love with it. I felt locked in. Uh, loved watching it. And I do think whenever, whenever NBC got the rights, really, like, I was already all in. Right. But it, hyper, it put, like, hyperdrive into our country. I remember walking into Nevada Smith's. It's a bar. It's, I don't think it's now closed in New York City. But it was a big-time uh, Man U bar. And you big time soccer. So you walked in there that first Sunday or Saturday, they had the Premier League and the, all the screens were on at 7 a.m. with soccer right. games yeah, like, yeah, the, yeah. like the NFL. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my God, it's it's this is this is this is this arrived. It's, it's a real thing. It was, it's a real thing. So more friends got into it. And it was just like and that became even more of a passion because now you're sharing with other people. Obviously, the amount of hours I've logged playing FIFA is disgusting. Um, <laughs> it's great. Last question on this, because I do want to talk about your uh, media path and some of the amazing things you're you're doing and have done and, and will continue to do. But one of the things that I picked up instantly, my son is seven years old and we did watch that game together uh, the other Saturday. Mm-hmm. And the first thing my son was drawn to was just the style, the player's hairstyles, like yeah. everything, like the style of the play, like for lack of a better term, soccer players now are just swagged out. They're swagged. <laughs> and I remember thinking when I was, watching hoops in 96 and I'm watching Georgetown and Iverson has the Jordan 11 zone. And I was like, there was nobody, no, no people cooler than when they first, <laughs> like they put in the dress code, but it was like one of those things where I looked at the NBA and I was like, yo, that Marbury Iverson, they were swagged out. I was like, this is what I would, I looked at my son and it almost felt like the same thing. So mm-hmm. when you look at who's, who's got more style, the, the, the soccer players or the hoopers? That's a great question because I do think <laughs> – the cool thing about soccer, though, is you have a global influence too. So, like, whether it's the yeah. guys that are based in Europe but they're from South America, they're bringing something different than they're integrated into Barcelona culture and they're doing something. Um, so I do think whether it's Paul Pogba, you know, he's, he's got the hairstyles and he's got the certain sure. – obviously Ronaldo sets a tone but in a very, very different way than Pogba would ever be. Um, I do think that's why soccer and, and uh, basketball players the highest level there's a big connection. There's so many NBA players with pictures of, of Messi or Xavi or Iniesta or whatever. Like they've, they've come together because they think they recognize the talent. I think they see the similarities in the game when they watch, but they are, they're the sports where the global superstars can truly control a team. Now in soccer, you can have less impact than in a basketball court individually. Mm-hmm. 
maybe outside of Messi because he's an alien and maybe a bit of Ronaldo. <laughs> but you, you you have this this situation where they identify with that this global super because it also is a global sport. These sure. are the two biggest mm-hmm. sports in the globe, so they they're able to translate and transcend all these different borders. So I think they connect on that. Their style is important. Their culture they come from is important. And they're then purveying that culture to the world. So, I mean, who has more swag? I would say just across the board, I think soccer is just more interesting because you're getting things from all over the place. Whereas in the U.S., we're, no, we have a lot of a ton of international players in the NBA. Sure. But, they, sure. but I, don't, I don't know if it's the same, the same thing. So I, 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 would, I would err on the side of just some of the soccer dudes because it's just – maybe it's because I'm an American. So to me, that's still, like, that's still different. Some of that stuff's unique and different, cool. whereas here I- it's very much us. I'm still going to go with hoops right now. And you're right that the swag is completely different. Like the hairstyles, the colors, just yeah, the way, yeah. uh, very influential. I'm going to go with the hoopers only because I know like there's still an element of certain hoops. That's like you go to a pickup court and, and, and anywhere in the country and you're going to see the style that comes out of it. That's just, uh, that just, yeah, it kind of takes over. So I'm going to go with that. But this is, this is great. This is great talk. And I want to, um, but I do want to ask you about what you're doing now, which is phenomenal. Your career path has been one we were talking before the interview started, and it's been one of work your butt off, opportunity, work your butt off. I'm not talking about big opportunity, like very slight opportunity, mm-hmm. and then make it so that not only do you crush it, you dominate it to the point where they're like, yeah, who's that kid again? Like, who's that guy? Like, we need to bring him back. And you kept doing things of that nature. Um, I've heard you talk a lot about your transition from just hoops and, and having an idea of wanting to uh, wanting to be in media and, and pursuing it in certain ways. Um, I'm going to ask in this way because um, I, I want it to be a little bit a, a little bit different. Um, what excites you, not excited you, but what excites you about working in media now and working at a place like ESPN and mm-hmm. having the position that you're in where um, you're able to work across multiple sports? Because not everybody gets to do that. Yeah. What excites you about your opportunity now? And what do you think is the characteristic that, that got you there? So those are really, really good questions. Um, I would start with, I think what's interesting is you said, what excites you? Because it's the current tense of the verb. Because yep. I do think as you go through the business, things can change. What excited me in 2013 and 15 is probably not the same that excited me now. It excites me now. So I think that's a really interesting question. Now I think it is really, it's, it's, the, it's the event, the game, and the atmosphere. And what I mean by that is like certain events, I'm just, I, I love. Like when I got to cover the Euros this summer. Mm-hmm. Like when I had talked to initially... Amy Rosenfeld at ESPN, who runs all the soccer there on the, on the domestic side, has been awesome to me, one of my champions and, and, and greatest people in this business. We talked in 2018, and she said, you know, hey, if you, you come here, you sign this deal. We're, we're, at, we're in a year out of launching the ACC network. She's like, if you come here, be part of the launch, you'll call soccer games at ACCN, you'll do all your ESPN basketball stuff. You'll do, I'm sure you'll grow to do other stuff at ESPN, but you've got the Euros, other soccer things. And that was mentioned years before. I was just her mention, and I'm like, man, I'd love to call a global soccer event that would mean so much to me and that event was amazing and the, the production the resources so like things like that the event, certain events will excite me without a doubt and being part of um i got to do a number of sports centers and that's an iconic show and that's something i grew up watching I was excited to do that um excited and then that gets to like the games obviously too so on a smaller level 
when there's big games, you're pumped about that. When we were out in Vegas for the whole feast week and you've got Gonzaga, UCLA, you Gonzaga Duke at the end of the week, got the Maui Invitational in between. You've got other events going like feast week, that feast of football. That's also an event, but there's the games themselves. that still excite me to see every time I get the Arsenal game yesterday, I'm pumped to watch an Arsenal game. I'm not even call, I'm not part of it. One day, maybe I will be, but you're pumped to watch those games. Awesome. I think that's what gets you excited to think about, Hey, you know, Champions League coverage or this stuff. So I, like they give you thinking as somebody in this business, like, Hey, one day it still drives me one day. Maybe I can do this. Or one day I can do this. Cause those things uh, excite me. And then lastly, the actual atmosphere. I now I really, really missed being at games mm-hmm. and feeling the crowd and being able to, you kind of get lost in that and, and feed off of that. Um, that was a huge, I was happy. We got to have a year last year, a season as it relates to college basketball and every sport, but it's just different, man. It is just, it has been different to be back in crowds and to feel the vibe. We called the college soccer uh, final four this past week. And, you know, they sold out that, that building down in Cary, North Carolina, almost 11,000 there. And that's just like, I haven't seen an outdoor event like that. I haven't been part of one in a long time. Cause even to the soccer games, we didn't travel to a lot of them. They have calls from home. Like some of that stuff you've got to do, sure. you know, on, we're, we're still, we're still, you know, finances matter. And if they're not going to turn a big rating, we're going to leave you at home. Um, but so like being in the crowds again and basketball season, you know, being down in North Carolina, uh, we'll be at Dayton a couple times. I'll be at Richmond and VCU, which I mean, VCU is one of the best buildings in the country that people don't aren't aware of. I'm a VCU grad. Holler at me. Holler at me when you I'll come be, to I town. I just got the schedule yesterday, so I'll be down there, I think, two or three times in February. Awesome. February. It's awesome. it but it's, um, yeah, like that, those, those things excite me for sure, as well as just big games, though, that I'm not involved in again. I just love sports. So you, you want to see big games, you want to see competition, and you want to see that drama play out at the highest stage. What, uh, and, We'll go back to the the because which is a little bit past tense and currently to the stuff that you want to do now as well. Mm-hmm. But what characteristic do you possess that uh, you feel? Because I know what other people say about you. I know I know what your <laughs> colleagues say about you, and it's all good stuff. I've never heard one colleague say anything bad. But I know mm-hmm. what your colleagues say and put in print. But what do you think is the characteristics that's gotten you where you are now? Uh, it's a great it's a great question. I would say it's it's authenticity and work ethic. Um, I think there's no other way. And that's since I was a little kid and my dad's favorite, my dad always spoke to us in, in little sound bites, you know, live up to or down to your expectations. One of his favorites. I kind of keep that in my head. If you expect things, if you expect things to be great. You got to strive and attain and you will get there. If you expect, you know, bad results of yourself, if you expect less, you'll get there too. Uh, that's going to happen. So always expect the most possible, but always, you know, we said talk is cheap. You got to do the work, man. And in this business, you can, you can fake it. Yep. I mean, I, I, you, I say that there's, there's 20 or 30 people on top of my, I can give you right now that I think that they're, they're faking enough. They're faking enough. They're getting, they're getting by, but are they really doing the work? Are they really watching all the games? Are they really diving into it? And they're really breaking stuff down. Some of them don't have the capacity to do it. Some of them don't have the time to do it. But I think for me, I have to do that. I can't, when I'm ill-prepared or if I feel ill-prepared, I almost can't function. So mm-hmm. like whatever it was doing when I was first getting into business and working for MSG Varsity, and Brian's and Fios from Columbia before that Columbia radio games was the first gig I've ever had. And thank you. Thank to them for giving me the opportunity. Um, I treated every game like as a final four. Like I was calling, you know, Wontaw garden city games on long Island, JV girls games, four o'clock tips. I'm talking to parents, talking to coaches. They're like, what the hell are we doing here? Well, I, I don't know who's watching. So I know I got to be better prepared than everybody else. So if somebody sees that and says, who, to your point, who is this guy? What's his deal? That's, that's how I looked at it. Everything's an opportunity and you have to crush that opportunity, as you said, and you have to kick that door open. And the only way you kick it open confidently is you're fully prepared. You've done all the work possible and you know what, and you're ready to walk through that. You're ready to kick through that door and then go right through it. And then the next door is going to come. The next opportunity, you kick that through 
And I think part of that too, the other piece of that I think is authenticity. I think you got to find it's hard. It's, it's easy to say, but it's hard to do in this business is find your voice. And for me, it's always just been, I got to be me, but it took me a while at first to just let me be me. You have to find your, you have to find your, your, your level of comfort. You have people telling you like, well, I was learning to be a host. Cause I didn't, I played at Columbia. I knew that was always going to be a barrier. And this was before ESPN, I think has really changed. And a lot of networks have changed. They care less about where you play to your numbers. They care more about what kind of broadcaster, what kind of analyst, what kind of host, what kind of, what, what are you doing in terms of content? Sure. They care about that now. And that's been about a last five or six years change. And thankfully I came around in that time. But in 2010, this was the era of if he's in the Hall of Fame, if she's in the Hall of Fame, put him in the seat. Right, we don't care. Seat. So um, for me, I had people, like I was, I was like, I got to learn to be a host. I remember them first telling me, well, make sure when you're talking all the time, look at the camera. You've always got to smile and you've got to do this. And, that. and I'm like, well, that's not really me. Like, I'm not, I'm not a downtrodden person, but I'm not just grinning all the time. Like, if something's, if something's funny, I'll laugh. If something's music, dance, music, music playing, I'll dance. Otherwise, I'm not doing that. Like, I can't, I can't, do, I can't make myself do those things. I had to find my level of comfort to say, hey, just be me and, and find your voice through that. And that takes time. But I think the level of authenticity of like fully aware. I know where I played. I know I wasn't an all-league player even there. I know, I know what I am and who I am, but I know what I'm going to do in terms of providing the best analysis or the best player I play or the best hosting role possible because I'm going to be prepared and I'm going to be me. We're going to have fun doing it. And that's kind of how I approach the job. One thing that strikes me about um, people that have played at – uh, people have played athletics at high levels. Mm-hmm. They they kind of go through the stages, and at every stage, they realize, "Oh, I belong here. I can mm-hmm. play at this level." This is completely different. When did you realize in media, not playing, but when did you yeah. realize in media you got to this level, whether it's MSG or you got to this Columbia or MSG or NBC, uh, Olympics, or even ESPN? Every time I'm sure you got to a point where you looked around and you're like, I, I can play with these guys. I can hang. When was it that yeah. you realized that you could play media, like be an analyst or in studio at, at the highest level? Man, good question, too. Um, I don't think anybody's ever asked me that, but that's a, that's a great question. Um, I, tr- I try, I actually, man. I try. <laughs> hey, you nailed it. I actually asked Chris Paul the same question about a kid we were watching play at a tournament two weeks ago. The kid didn't think he was a pro. His right. coach believed he was a pro. And I said, asked Chris, when did you think, when did you believe you were capable of achieving to being a pro. I think that's just like an interesting concept. I'm not tooting my horn saying it's a good question. I asked the same thing, but I bet we're, in the, we're aligned here. I don't know. You're very slick. I like, um, that. I like that. Yeah, we're aligned there. Um, I would say there's two things that jumped to me. One was, was the Olympics. Um, and to get there, I'd worked at NBC at the time. I was at NBC from 2013 to October of 16. And um, I knew I wanted to, I love Brazil. I went down there with one of the boys that, that grew up down there. Um, another one of our friends uh, in 2009, loved the culture, loved the food, loved the music, loved everything about it, contemplated. And then I was marketing advertising. Like, can I get, I should try to work down there. I got to learn the language and I should just, just, we had an office down and right on Copacabana beach and Rio. I'm like, I got I should, I should figure this thing out. I didn't do that. Um, but I, but I remained passionate about the country. And then once I got to NBC, I'm like, man, I want to go to the Rio Olympics. But they started as the trend is across our country, or across media to do things remotely. Um, so there's a lot more folks in 30 Rock and NBC mm-hmm. or at Stanford and NBCSN's office, uh, Stanford, Connecticut, doing a lot of the production stuff. And I'm like, man, I know if I, they're not going to use me at basketball, which travels. I know they're not going to do that. But like, how do I get down there? I just thought to myself, hey, if I learn a language and I say I can pitch all these, I can do these different cultural, societal pieces, historic pieces and speak to people in their native language and get into things um, that may be that may work. So I just got, I tell my agent that Amy Leone, who's like my mom in the business. This may work. Good. This may work. I said, this I may like, work. And she, this is a shot I, in the dark. 
it is. Hey, well, you got, you got to find an angle. <laughs> How an much angle. time did you have? So before the I, I started, I started thinking this at the beginning. It was 2014. It's very like okay. January 14th. So I had basically two, two and a half years, really. Okay. Um, so I tell her this, she's like, I think that's a great idea. Um, start doing your start, start, start seeing if it's realistic, like start working. And then we'll, yeah, maybe we go to them after the 14 Olympics after, after, uh, what was that Sochi? Is that Sochi in 14? Yeah. Well, after they're done there, um, maybe we'll, we'll let's go engage the group, the group at NBC, the, the Olympics group and pitch that you can do this. So I start learning. I find a tutor online. I do Rosetta <laughs> Stone is, first. This is Portuguese. This is yeah, not Portuguese. Spanish, right? Yeah, it's yeah. not Spanish. In no, Portuguese, is... I'm not the... Portuguese is harder. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, not, like, it's, not, it's Portuguese. There's, okay. There are 36 different ways to say I do. Just right. think about that for a second. In English, there's Ugh. six. So Ugh. when you like that, it's not easy. But but I, ha- I started doing Rosetta Stone and I'm not good at languages, man. I took six years of French through school. I, I know like six phrases. It was an absolute <laughs> disaster. When I got a D in my second my second semester of uh, the final level I had to take, level level four Spanish and French at Columbia, I got a D. Our academic advisor called. She's like, you made it. You didn't fail. <laughs> there was that, that was a success. It was that bad. My right, brain does not idiot. handle language well. So I dive into this. And I think partially because I, I didn't care about the I didn't really care about French culture when it was coming up. I didn't matter. I had to do it. This is something I wanted to do. So I started with Rosetta Stone, learned that. Go like go through that. Find a tutor online. Uh, her name's Carmen. She lives in Rio. Played uh, tennis in Oklahoma, so she understood like American culture. Had been here a couple for a while, uh, but she's back in Rio now. I uh, was then there and still now. Um, but I start working with her, and I start going through it. And about like we went to the World Cup in fourteen with my brother. It was the first time I was kind of testing it out a little bit. I was like, okay, I can vibe a little. Like I can get little stuff, and you know, I can I can help us move around. And that was actually critical because the last group stage game of the U.S. If anybody soccer fan remembers this. There were floods in Recife, Recife, in the uh, northeast part of the country. And we couldn't get out of the hotel to get to the stadium. Like, there was, like, water, like, two, one to three feet oh, high around wow. the stadium. And, like, the, the bus was going to be delayed. There was all types of issues getting to the venue. And all these Americans are standing out front of the hotel. So I go to the, the very little English is spoken in the northeast part of the country. I go to the, the taxi, the, the valet guy. I'm like, Do me, can you call me a cab, but have him stop three blocks away? Don't have him come here. We'll run through the water. We'll get there. And he said, okay. But nobody could tell him that. But I was like, nice. okay, I got like, look at that. I could tell him nice. that. And I could, yeah. uh, so we, they, they see the car, people sit. And I, we just took off running. We knew that was our ride. But like that was, so I was like, okay, I think I can do this. I come back from that. I go pitch to NBC. Um, they take it. They're like, yes, this is great. We'll be part of our sports desk group. They'll do features. Da, 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 da. But then it was like, hey, we got to make this real. Now I really got to, I really got to yeah. become like you're communicative. All, you're like, on. I'm on. on. So I go through the whole next year. We use this site called italki. If anybody out there wants to learn a language, it's called italki.com. You cannot pay. All it does is match you up with other native speakers. So if you're looking to learn English and they're looking to learn Portuguese, they just put you, you can just look through a list of people, click yeah, like message them, take it offline to, to, to Skype, all free. You can lose their, use their platform, other stuff, and it costs money. Don't use that, but use it just to meet people and have these discussions that like accelerated my learning a lot. Um, and to your moment of like the aha moment, we're driving on the, we're on the second day we're there. We're going to meet this guy. Uh, his name's Hanato Sohizo. Uh, uh, he was, uh, he was like a, a street sweeper that became famous in the closing of the 2014 games because 2016 games are coming up. He started sambaing one day and that like at the, at the Samba Dromo, the in Carnival, he became famous. They brought him to the Olympics. So now it's like the Olympics are in his town. So I'm going to speak to him, but he speaks no English. And they brought the translator anyway. And I told my producer, I was clearly think, didn't think this was going to work. So I get in there. I'm uh, clearly nervous, probably the most nervous I've ever been in like any broadcasting <laughs> setting. Cause I'm like, dude, you cannot brick here. Let's go. We have like an hour and a half conversation. 
It's awesome. We have a great time. Translator, not necessary. We're joking around. And I was like, as soon as we get done, the producer goes, I thought there was no chance, man. I thought, I thought that there's no shot. And I was like, thank you. Appreciate your confidence. But I go back. I have to now translate my whole piece. I have to cut sure. it up. And then I give it to the editor a little more kind of like done because he can't translate it. Um, and that was kind of in that, in that experience that was like, hey, OK, I can do this. But I could also operate with these people. What NBC does, the Olympics, which is really cool, it's like an all-star team, man. Every producer, every editor, every person that's there is like top of their game. Yeah. So that, that whole experience put me in a place of being like, I can, do, I can do this. I can write these packages. I can edit this stuff. I'm doing the language thing. Like this is, and that's all outside of stuff that I've done a lot of. And now to be operating that world to be like, okay, like this is, this is really cool. I can do this. That was a, that was a huge moment just as, like a, as, a, as a broadcaster to be like, hey, I'm not, I don't have to just be an analyst. I don't have to be a host. I can do all these other things and I can, I can hang. And I learned so much from so many of those people it was like the most, it was like an amazing boot camp with, with just high level people. It was awesome. Uh, there's that moment. And the other one from like a ESPN side. So you get the ESPN. I've dreamed of being there my entire like career, you know, and we signed a deal with them right after I like, came back from the Olympics, we signed a deal with ESPN and I'm going there to do, a, I'm going there. It's a small contract. I was supposed to be actually supposed to be hired for be a sports center anchor. That was their initial offer. Oh, wow. About eight months before that. that. That's crazy. And, and that was a while before that. But then when we were about to negotiate in the September of 16, when I got back from the Olympics, they said, hey, we can't bring you on as a sports center anchor. We're, we're about to go through layoffs, and we're going to lay off a number of sports center anchors. Like, we're going to go through, and, and we, so we can't do that. Would you like to be a basketball analyst? We know that's a passion of yours. You've done it. Yeah, let's do it. So we signed a smaller deal there and allows me to do soccer and for other networks and other stuff outside of basketball season and even work for other companies, even, even other companies. We're for CBS during basketball season, too. Um, I said, let's do it. So it was supposed to be just games, but they knew I did studio stuff, and they had me come in for Thanksgiving week. They're like, hey, we got some issues around Thanksgiving. Would you want to come in and do Feast studio? week. Feast week, yeah. I'm like, all right, let's do it. So I come in, and uh, you don't know the setting. It's different with ESPN than how you run NBC raps. There's a level of comfort when you're not there. It's, I think Kevin Connors was on the desk with me and Coach Seth Greenberg. And I'm sitting there, and I'm just like, you, you, you want to – I'm a little, little nervous, a little tight. They're like, okay, <laughs> let's see how this works out. And studio is different, too, because folks that don't know, like, you got to be concise – you got to be to your point and you got the producer being like rap rap. I'm like, I just started talking rap already. It's been, it's been six seconds, but like, you've got to, you know, you gotta, you gotta perform within the con- in the tight confines. And I go through the first, the first halftime, I think it was, and me and coach are going back and forth and, you know, we maybe disagreed on something or whatever, but we we're, we're going back and forth. And I get a text after the next halftime from a number. I don't know. I looked down, I actually told him this when I saw him this summer, I don't know the number. I'm like, Hey, this is Kirk Herb street. Uh, I just want to say, I think you're doing a fantastic job. Didn't That's know who you crazy. were. Got your number. Got your number from Lee Fitting. You've done it. I really love it. Keep keep doing your thing. Be be you, basically. That's awesome. And I was just like, holy crap! Like that type of that sure. was that, that, just reading that like changed my entire. I'm like, hey, okay, I'm I'm doing this. That's crazy. And that guy's the best in the business, and he thinks I'm doing a good job. I'm in. I got to keep doing what I'm doing. And that's that that helped change my career path. Having that belief to be in studio with them and doing games, and that's where the majority of stuff I do for ESPN now is in studio multiple days a week as an analyst or sometimes as a host. Um, but I saw Kirk this summer at a golf event and made sure to, to tell him that just because, you know, there aren't a lot of people in this business that, that reach out to try to build people up blindly, you know, sure. and he's and for him to do that for me at that time was just massive. So I think that was, that was another one of those moments. And he, he kind of cemented that. So the funny thing, and, I, and I'll be quick on this. I know you're short on time. So we'll, 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 uh, wrap this up. We'll have I'm to good on time. You can go okay. as long as you want. I'm good. <laughs> no, well, it's interesting that you mentioned Kurt Herbstreit. And because one of the things that you've mentioned that I said when I read other colleagues talk about you 
um, that authenticity, uh, authenticity, authentic piece. I, sh I should say it better. I'm sorry. Um, but you being authentic um, and not having a stick and not having a gimmick and just being yourself. And I was trying to think of other analysts, even across the board, across the networks that kind of exemplifies that. And Herb Street was one of the people I thought of mm -hmm. because in many ways, some parallels, I mean, he was a college athlete, but he wasn't, it wasn't a star, yeah. star college athlete. He goes into media mm -hmm. and nothing's given to, to a guy yeah. like that. Uh, works his butt off. And mm -hmm. now he is kind of the top guy in the industry. He gets the big primetime game on ABC yeah. uh, and, 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 and universally well-respected across the board. Mm -hmm. um, I, I definitely see the similarities and the parallels and the, the career that you've paved out and actually diving deeper and just being who you are. So that's a cool story to hear that somebody recognizes that, sends yeah. you a note and says, don't change. Like, just yeah. be yourself. You don't necessarily. Now, when you look across the media landscape, uh, are you concerned in any way about the hot take, uh, about the, the hot <laughs> stove, hot take machine type of commentary on uh, on just sports in general? Because, yeah. I mean, it's it's bleeds in everything. I mean, it, mm -hmm. even even at a place like ESPN, it bleeds in everything. But there's hot takes on just about everything, several all up and down. Uh, the day does that is that something that concerns you or it's like that's awesome because it lets allows me to stand out by being who I am um I, I've it's like pissing into the wind I've given up uh <laughs> given, I've given up bashing it it is what it is man that that ain't staying and I respect uh, those that do it um but it, it's it's that's not for me like for like sure. there are certain like sure. that's just it's just not what I love to do I enjoy doing radio but I think, again, how I'm doing it, I'm not like where I get where I'm saying what well, I guess what I'm saying. Like, back up for a second. There's like a sports media industrial complex we live in. Mm -hmm. So the 6 a.m. show a lot of times and ESPN feeds it mostly. Whether it's 6 a.m. in radio with with uh, KJ and with, with, with J. Will, Keyshawn and Max or show, some, sometimes Fox shows, whatever. They start to set the tone. And so, sometimes it's even sports center. It's, it's SVP at the night before setting the tone on what's going to be discussed. And I love SVP. Talk about authentic. One of those real guys in the play, who exactly who he is on air. It's the same thing off air, and he is a concerned, genuine, honest, funny person that's literally the best in the business, in the business of what he does. Hear. He's amazing. Um, but they, they, you start to set the tone about what's going to be discussed. It's just when you get to the morning shows, it's all the storylines start to start to twirl, start to start to start to start to go, start to roll. And then the, the seven o'clock sports center doesn't. And then eight o'clock, you got to get up. And then 10, you got first take. And we're back to sports center. And now we're just feeding the same stories and getting the same takes with the same stuff and just beating these things to death. With a lot of times without a lot of great context or um, uh, or concern for for the subject matter of what we're actually doing at times, we're just we're just, re we're just repeat, rinse, wash, rinse, repeat until we get to six o'clock or midnight, and now we start another new cycle. Um, and that kind of and, and it's weird because ESPN can start a story, but then that story remains relevant because ESPN keeps putting on its different shows all day. And Fox will all have the same content, so that's where that industrial right. complex comes in. Where sure. we, it's a self fulfilling prophecy. Um, and I don't at times I don't love that like the debate about Steph said he could make 16 threes should Steph you know Steph gonna make 16 today like why is that a topic but there are so many things like that you can point to you're like what are we doing here you know so funny. Uh, but the topics that they put up sometimes is like man why are we even talking about this but I get I understand the business sure I just don't I don't want to spend my time giving those kind of takes that are completely ridiculous so we're talking about the games 
and we're talking about certain plays and we're getting into like stuff that's a little more meaty or bigger like societal issues within sports, I'm all game. But when we're like creating topics just to fill the fill the two hours or fill the hour, that I don't love. But that's part of the business, man. That 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 ship has sailed in terms of like disliking it. It just is what it is, and we it's, ain't gonna change it. It was an interesting um, realization for me when I found out that people make the news. And what I mean by that yep. is that that 630 national news, I grew up in the era. I'm sure you were very similar with uh, Tom Brokaw, Peter Jennings, um, <laughs> you know, that nightly news. Those yep. were those were the guys. And I would think that, like, whatever happened on the national news was like the news. Like, that's mm -hmm. that's like the big thing. It's only later in life where I get older and I start working and I, and I work in politics and government. Um, and I realized like, oh no, people make the news and they set mm -hmm. the agenda. And if this is what they want to talk about, yep. uh, this is the story. Um, and it never, it really struck me. There were, um, I live in Richmond, Virginia, and there was, there could be a news story, any news story, missing girl or whatever, like any type of news story that they could talk about in Richmond for six months. Six months every day, leading the mm -hmm. leading the no local newspaper or the local news. All it takes is one time in the Washington Post, New York Times, L.A. Times, Wall Street Journal, and then that feeds what NBC and CBS. The, mm -hmm. that, those papers yep. feed the national story. And so, mm -hmm. if you're wondering why, you know, this same particular missing person, <laughs> it turns mm -hmm. out that, or this one particular trial takes yeah. one center it's because of that you know you know one of those papers found it important so then one of those networks has to pick it up and then everybody else feeds off of that and some of that as we've gotten older and the internet's happened and, and news in some ways have gotten more um dispersed you know there's stuff that can go viral if you will without that mm -hmm. system but mm -hmm. yeah that system sets the tone yeah. and so i always um uh, when whenever I get upset about, you know, particular things, especially societal things, I always just wonder, like, you know, if they just took, I don't know, the mass Singer or Friends off the air at like eight <laughs> o'clock and put the news story up, uh, then we would have a different reaction. You know yeah. what I mean? Like people would yeah. be like, oh, no, I can't get my sports game because this is happening. And mm -hmm. the interesting thing is and then I'll segue into this is we kind of saw that right in 2020 mm -hmm. because the world shut down and then we start to pay attention to what really is happening when yeah. there's no recreational activities and so it's one of those things where especially as the summer goes on in 2020 and we have a lot of the societal and, and racial and cultural conflicts and people for whatever reason are just starting to wake up and pay attention mm -hmm. and there are people that are like yo this has been here all the time yep. just paying yep. attention but a lot of people really were for the first time had to sit down. They couldn't go and get their outlet. So they had to pay attention to a lot of society issues, societal issues and sports in particular had such an interesting approach, whether it was the NBA, WNBA, uh, NHL, even, mm -hmm. uh, you know, they, they, they all in their own way try to address kind of racial diversity, cultural issues, um, just acknowledge some of the tensions when you were sitting back in 2020 and seeing these different institutions mm -hmm. try, try to uh, tackle in racism or Black Lives Matter 
do you who do you think any of them did it well um what were some of your just interesting takeaways um being who you are and seeing all of this unfold in a place where in many ways sports could be the only outlet even though it wasn't the mm-hmm. same but they've got to wrestle with uh kind of what's right in front of them in society yeah it was an incredibly interesting time in our country i think that'll be that that period will be written about from a societal racial political standpoint as a as a as a turn and maybe not a turning point just as a pivotal moment in our history and the outcomes of those things are tbd in 10 20 and 30 years we're, we're talking about you know monica mcnutt and i are, are working on a, a a podcast where we're talking about, like, we'll get in. I'm not going to leave it all. I'm gonna, like, <laughs> break, some news, right <laughs> break some news, please. Not going to launch it right now. Break some news. Break some news. But she, I don't want. I don't want to not quote her and quote. I don't. I can't quote the person, but she likes to always use the line. But they said, "Urgent problems can't have urgent solutions." Hmm. So these are huge problems that are urgent right now. That these athletes and these teams, these institutes and these leagues, were trying to say, okay, how do we affect some sort of change? It's not really a fair thing to say who did it, to look back and say who did it well, who didn't. It's just I, what I will say is here's what you – they made an effort. They were trying to do things differently. When the Bucks walked off the court, that has an impact, right. you know, because I think guys were confused, and that's what they all meant down the NBA, like, should we keep playing? Because the games were another distraction. When the games came back, they were trying to keep it front and center, but still we, 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 we were talking about the game because the game was being played, and that's what we're paid to do, and we want to try to talk about both, which was really hard for myself and hard for others – because I wanted to talk more about the societal issues than the games themselves. And you're trying to find this balance um, just like the players are, just like the leagues are. They're trying to do their job, but they're trying to make sure that, hey, we got bigger, bigger fish to fry. They're bigger issues. So I will say we have the WNBA, the NBA, like they were, they were stepping forward and trying to, trying to be as uh, not the cutting edge, but as, as aggressive as possible within their institutions to try to, to try to drive change, change, bigger, bring awareness to certain issues. To your point, there's some things you want to, uh, you, 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 that you don't think they're getting their attention. You know, Brianna Taylor may have not been getting enough attention. The WNBA said, we need, this has to get more attention. And they made a, they made it a, a point to do that. And they succeeded in doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, so there were, there were, I mean, everybody tried to do their piece and it's still trying. That's the hard part is like these, like the thing that's been, it's not disheartening. It's just concerning. It's that all the corporations can say all these things and did say all these things, but are you actually, creating actionable change. And it's hard to measure that in a short term because some of the stuff we're talking about when it comes to um, identifying diverse talent, growing that talent, retaining that talent at different businesses, that's a years long process, years long process to fix your pipelines. Your pipelines, ESPN is a great example. ESPN will go to Syracuse and they'll go to Missouri and they'll go to Columbia Journalism School. But are you going to Jackson State? Are you going to FAMU? Are you going to Bethune-Cookman? Are you putting the effort into HBCUs? Are you going to Howard? Are you going to, to, to Morehouse? Are you doing the things to find other people, uh, other diverse candidates that are highly educated, very capable, but are you fixing your pipelines? That takes a long time to do that. So it's hard to, I mean, it's, it's hard to judge them, but even some of their statements may have not matched even what they said in the short term. So sure. I think there's got to be, they have a lot more to do. Corporate America, our government, like the big institutions still have to drive this a lot, but individuals too have to keep looking at what can I do? How can I impact things? And as somebody in media, we've done different specials or make sure that there's different, inter- different things, features, packages, interviews to keep this top of mind, to keep talking about it. Cause you're right. The awakening was for white people. Like they just didn't think this thing was happening. Let's be real. I was like 80% of white people had no clue this was going on and didn't not because there was even malice to most people. 
it's it is it is you don't know what you don't know and now it's like oh maybe i should actually ask these questions because i'll tell you what i wouldn't just offer up my life experience to a lot of my white friends unless they started asking questions and then well, that then you start getting into it now if we're close and that's one thing but if it's like a casual acquaintance especially sure. at work you're not getting into these but now at work it was like hey let's get into some stuff and you start to really start to understand and there's a desire to learn to to change and to heal and that was where the awakening was. But then what, what happens when the other side of the coin is there's other people saying there is no problem. If you can't acknowledge there's not a problem, then we got an issue. So there's still massive issues. But I think people, by and large, there are more people now interested in solving them than interested in opposing them. And I think that's where you, the, the point you bring up is interesting because I think that's where the fatigue comes in for black people. Right. Mm-hmm. If, if you've been living this experience uh, for years on end. And yep. recognizing it. And then somebody last year just says, oh, there's a problem. Tell me about yeah. it. Tell me about <laughs> it. Like, Let's talk Dale, about it. Watch. Okay. Dalen, this is phenomenal. I, I've got to get you out of here. I'm going to do some very, very, very quick. So quick, rapid fire. Quick. I'll and be then, quick. We're, then we're getting out of here. Um, best thing about being a dad. Uh, best thing about th- that every time I walk into the room, uh, she makes me smile. That's awesome. That's awesome. And that's uh we talked about this a little bit off the air but i want people to know favorite hip-hop song slash era slash artist um my favorite group of all time is tribe called quest um yep i'm a big tribe fan i would say favorite song though (laughs) benita applebaum is a good one that that goes butter (laughs) is a good one go butter uh there's certain songs that just you know they, they, they take you back to certain eras that's why those two songs literally take me back to being a younger kid um, I'm a huge Nas fan too. So basically the whole Illmatic album, I'm much more of an old school uh, hip hop fan. My first album was Dre, was, 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 was Doggy Style. Second was The Chronic. Third was Illmatic. Best place to play pickup basketball? Oof. Um, in my life. <laughs> I mean, New York, Athletic, New York Athletic Club has the best pickup you're going to find because there's a bunch of dudes, whether it's pros, current pros, former pros, Europeans, European got prize playing in Europe. Like that was just the highest level game you're going to find. That's just a pickup game, but you got to be welcomed into that pickup game. So maybe it's not just, it's not everybody's rolling on that court, but that game's a high level game. Uh, best college basketball atmosphere. Uh, I've been to Cameron to see that. It's I was, Duke, North Carolina. was the last Duke, North Carolina game before the world shut down week before it shut oh, down. Wow. So it's and hard to say. Cameron was, your, was that your first game that you called? First, first, that was uh, my first on. ever game. Yes. Was at Cameron, okay. but this was the first time I saw the Duke Carolina game um there so i would say that but fog allen my wife's a ku alum i haven't been there yet i've lobbied many times to do a game there i'm not going until i call a game there so i can't put i can't say that it's definitive but that's the only one i think competes with it uh global soccer environment best soccer environment. dude i gotta get there i've not seen a single live game in europe i've seen what? world cup games yeah I've seen world cup games but i'm not surprised it's a bucket list i want to go to dortmund I want, to, I want to do a week, a week trip where you get a club game. I want to go to Arsenal game in the weekend, midweek Champions League game at Dortmund, and then maybe a game in Spain. I'm trying to get myself to the Classico, but that's going to be in March, so we'll see if that works out. That's Barcelona-Real, but we'll see. Last one, where is Dallin Cuff in five years? If I, I wish I had that answer. I'll <laughs> tell you what. What I want to be, it's a good back to what I said before, I want to be involved in calling, hosting the biggest events that we have. And when I say we – Whatever network I'm working for, I hope it's ESPN, but you never know in this world right now. I am Amazon's getting the mix. A lot of people are in the mix. So I just want to do the biggest things possible that excite me to your earlier question. We're going to leave it there, Dallin Cuff. 
thank you so much for the time. This has been a lot of fun. We got to do this yeah. again. And whenever you uh, hit those, uh, hit those Richmond, when you hit the cap city, holla at me for real. This is great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you again. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is the cheats movement podcast. Oh, last thing really quickly. Where can people follow you? Where can they keep up with all the things you're doing? Uh, Twitter at Dallin cuff and Instagram. Same thing at Dallin cuff on Instagram, on Twitter. Um, there you go, man. Pleasure being on with you. A lot of fun. Anytime. This is the cheats movement. We'll be right back after this. I want to thank Dallas Cuff. He is amazing. Please follow him everywhere on social media. I hope we do get to see him when he comes to Richmond because he is just that dude. Uh, love talking to him, and I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Big shout-out to the Community Media Center, the collaboration between VPM and the ICA. It's on the second floor of the ICA, which is the Institute of Contemporary Art, right in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. It's an amazing, amazing contemporary art institute. Please check it out. And as always, follow the Cheats Movement podcast, follow the Family Podcast Network, which you can get through from thecheatsmovementpodcastnetwork.com. Sign up. January 2022 is going to be an exciting time with a bunch of new shows, not just the Cheats Movement, but a bunch of new shows, and we're doing uh, amazing things. Be on the lookout this week. Uh, and in future weeks for um, an article about the network and everything that we're doing on styleweekly.com. We're excited that they took the time to visit with us. Ladies and gentlemen, this is going to be a full, full week. I think you will hear from the Cheats Movement podcast, or if not, Wrestling Chat with Friends. But if you don't, have a extremely happy holiday. Please lock in. I do think we have new episodes coming. We're just working on a few things. But Hey, until next time, as always, we see it. Yeah. Yo, yo, I'm trying to play leaving. Right. See you at the end, bro.